Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Origin Story, where we dive into how your favorite YouTubers got started and where they are going. I'm Mike. And I'm JP. And today we are joined by Fonzie from Dip Your Car. Fonzie, up, thanks guys? for joining us. Thanks for having me, man. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm really excited. Uh, you said this is like your first long format podcast, so I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you took the chance to do it with us. Yeah, I'm excited, dude. I haven't had a conversation like this in a long time with people, so um, I think it's going to be good. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, I, there's a great story to tell. So for those who don't know, Fonzie is the man behind the brand and the channel Dip Your Car. Fonzie started his business and channel in his garage almost a decade ago. Since then, he's built an industry and a community over 1 million subscribers. His 538 videos have been watched over 220 million times and helped millions of car enthusiasts change the look and style of their car, including myself. I did my badges and my uh, bumpers on my 4Runner with uh, Hyperdip, so thank you oh, for you that. Go. Yeah, man. <laughs> uh, and you made it really, really, really easy because I watched one video and I had no experience, and you told me exactly what not to do, and it turned out perfect. Um, <laughs> so outside of YouTube, Fonzie is a father of two and a husband. He also loves to fish and hit the gym. Uh, as you can tell, you know, everyone knows about his biceps and his gym routine, so <laughs> something we'll definitely have to talk about early on in the channel. And then you know, tune in every week. He uh, He's always plastic dipping a new car in a way. Well, not a new car. There's a rotation of cars. But he's doing these really cool experiments with different colors and different pigments and all sorts of things. And it's, is it all user suggestions? No, no. no. Some okay. of them are. Some of them are just as random as it gets. And some of them we have uh, internally, we kind of plan them out. Okay. Well, that that's cool. I like the, I like the mix because we'll talk a lot about how you come up with those ideas. And mm -hmm. I appreciate your time today. I'm really excited to have you on the show. And I think it's going to be a really fun one. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for being here. And congrats on hitting, uh, just hitting a million subscribers well, oh. last month. Congrats. Yeah, it was recent. Thank you. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. And uh, and on your set, or in your office, you have your two plaques now that you've uh, very, very well earned over the past decade. So, mm -hmm. but let's start before YouTube. So, you grew up in Long Island. Um, how did you make it to Florida? Like, what was the transition to get down to the south? It's just one of those classic stories where I uh, grew up on Long Island until about 14. Dad changed his job, and before we knew it, we're coming down to Florida. And that must have been a big shift. I mean, at least you're going for somewhat of a beach town-esque. Long Island still has, like, you're close to the beach. Much different of a beach than it is in Florida, though. Yeah, it was a big shift, especially when you're 14. Everything is about having that core group of friends, and then you get unplugged from that and dropped into a completely different community and you're just going through that cycle of trying to find who you're going to fit in with um it it builds character but it's not the easiest thing yeah that's a that's a rough age i i did uh, my parents moved us when i was 15 i uh, just turned 15 so my first day of high school was my first day of living in southern oregon so it was quite right. a big change and it's like yeah it, that's... when you know when you're that age you think the world's ended you think it's oh, all yeah. over yeah, you, you had everything. Your whole life was built around one area and one group of people, and you grew up with those people. I mean, those are people that I knew since I was in, in kindergarten, really. So once I got to 14, we're just getting into high school, you're just starting to find out who you are, at least in that stage of your life. And then you have to start all over again. Um, 
like I said, it's tough, but it does help you build that thick skin. Yeah, definitely. Um, did you, um, I guess, how long did it take you? I remember when, when I, cause I went through a similar thing. Like how long did it take you for you to realize like, oh, it's actually not so bad here? Oh, wow. Wow. I think a while. Yeah, because even in the beginning, you don't, especially at that age, I and mean, we're talking eighth grade, ninth grade, sometimes when you meet people at that age, you think they're one thing and then they end up being something completely different. So until I found my comfort zone, I'd say a good four or five months. Yeah. Okay. So not too bad, but yeah, it takes a while. No. Um, yeah. Do you, you still have family back in, uh, in Long Island or, or is it mostly like, hey, everything's in Florida now? Well, a lot of my family's in the New Jersey area. We were the yep. ones who kind of disconnected, went to Long Island. So down here, my immediate family's here, my mom, my dad, my brothers and sisters. But um, I haven't been back to Long Island since probably in the 90s. Wow. Yeah, okay. yeah it's been a while. It's been a minute, man. I love, but where whereabouts in Long Island did you grow up? Like Fire Island? Kings Park, okay. Suffolk County. Okay, yeah. We spent, uh, I spent a couple of uh, summers like, going up there as a beach lifeguard they always had beach lifeguarding competitions and mm-hmm. it was always really fun to get up there because you guys have surf which in new jersey yeah. in the new jersey beaches not so good but up north <sighs> you guys get some pretty pretty good waves you have some nice yeah waves. it wasn't bad yeah so in florida is that where you found because you're a pretty avid fisher you have a lot of fishing on your instagram and you have caught a couple of nice fish there is that what mm-hmm. got you interested in kind of being outside and fishing there or was that something that you had uh, participated up in new york we did a little fishing you know on the bluffs and the piers in new york but when i came down um my neighbors actually introduced us to bass fishing my grandpa who actually lived down in florida for a long time was uh, an avid bass fisherman so when we would come down to florida to visit him we would rummage through his closet and play with all the lures and 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 stuff like that but my neighbor introduced me to bass fishing so i went out there with the saltwater poles that i had and just started casting worms and doing what i could and i just kind of got hooked on it you know i'm not um i would say it was a good five or six years of just fishing in small canals because in south florida there's canals everywhere i mean mm-hmm. you could fish literally almost anywhere so uh we got into it pretty quick and and i hung on to it I'm sure, especially in the current state of the, like your work life balance, it must be a nice, like quick way for you to clear your head. Um, especially with two little ones running around, having a full-time, multiple full-time businesses and creating YouTube channel. Uh, I want to talk about that later, but is it something that you use as as a mental clarity item? hundred percent. Yeah. And, uh, actually I would say the first, cause we've been in business almost like we're going on 10 years now. I would say the first eight years, I really didn't have much of a hobby at all. It was just gym, work, home, gym, work, home, gym, work, home. And the hours were exactly what you would expect. It was, you know, gym in the morning, get to the office early, don't come home till eight, nine o'clock at night. There's just always so much to do. And when I finally had kids, I started shortening those hours a little bit. So it was about five years ago when I start coming home more at six o'clock because I had the little ones waiting for me at home but I still wasn't doing anything from a hobby point of view. So no way to unplug, no way to mentally refresh. So about two years ago, my wife was the one who really just encouraged me. Like, you've got to get out of the house and do something. And she's like, you love going fishing. Why don't you just get out there? So um, I bought a bass boat and my buddy Dan and I, every single weekend, like clockwork, we'd go out and there's no cell phones, no computers. 
by the time we get out in the Everglades, there's no other people. So it's like four or five hours of just peace, quiet and nature. And I genuinely think it's one of the healthy, healthiest things I've ever done. Oh, it's there's something about, especially in this day and age, no cell service. I was just camping with my friends and I think it's the first time, well, at least definitely in the past 18 months because of what's gone on, but in a long time that mm. I didn't have cell service for three days. And it was, mm-hmm. at first it was like weird, super weird. I felt naked. Sure. And then like the neck, the, I, my phone was like a brick. I just threw it, whatever, here you go. Text my wife, make sure the baby's okay, make sure she's okay. Yeah. As we're, as we're getting service. And then once we lost it, it was just like, okay, see ya. Hang out with the boys. Just be, be alone. It was great, man something different there's that dependency now where it's like every five minutes you're just obsessively checking the phone for good or bad and when you're out there doing something like that whether it's golfing or fishing or whatever and you distract yourself which is one of the most important parts by the time i come back from fishing i genuinely feel different and my wife can tell my kids can tell i'm in a different mood than i was because it's almost like a reset button yeah absolutely yeah and and you know a tough lesson in business too is like no one's no we're, we're not saving babies luckily right what mm. we do is not saving babies so if, if someone doesn't get a package in two days or three days right. if it doesn't go out and the email doesn't get sent no one's gonna die here and i i learned this yeah. weird lesson working with people out of hawaii that like i didn't know why they were so chill in business there and they're like you know after 3 p.m or two or after like 11 a.m their time most of the east coast businesses are closed so they're like, there's nothing I can do until tomorrow, man. So good point. you just kind of, kind of go with it, but that's awesome. That's a great reset. I love the, I love that it, it came from your wife. It seems like you guys have a great relationship. I mean, all throughout your Instagram and through your whole thing is you found your, your true soulmate. And that's congratulations, man. That's something awesome. Yeah. And you know what? I, it's, it's not easy to, to be married to somebody like me. I think, um, <laughs> she knew what she was getting into in the beginning and I think that because I had, you know, a couple girlfriends moving up through when I started the company and I don't want to sound selfish, but in a lot of ways I was selfish in the sense that I, I knew I had an opportunity and I knew that the opportunity was not going to grow unless it was properly cultivated and got the, the right amount of energy. And you have that conscious decision every day where you're either going to be obsessive and you're going to put everything you have into it or you're not. And if you do, and you commit to that every day, the relationships around you are going to suffer. At least in my case, it's just the natural thing because you only have enough time in the day. So if you're waking up in the morning and going to bed late at night and the majority, if not all of that day is trying to push this goal forward, how much time do you really have for girlfriends and hanging out? And I was never really a party guy or anything like that, but I think my wife knew going in that there were going to be stages and in the building stage, there's not a lot of shenanigans. Like this is what I'm doing. This is the most important thing for me. And and this is what I got to stick to. But once we got out of those building stages and more into the maintenance and growth stages, things leveled out a little bit. So I think she made a long-term play. Yeah. And it sounds like you set expectations up front, which is always very helpful. It's like once those expectations are set, it's a lot easier to go for them. Like, Hey, this is kind of what we agreed to. Um, but that, I mean, you have such an entrepreneurial spirit. Where did that come from? Like, is that something that you kind of learned from your parents growing up? Did you, you know, did you kind of learn this on your own or always just kind of want to be your own boss? Like how how did you get that drive? I want to answer as honestly as I can, even though it may 
make me look a little bit like a douchebag, but I always wanted to run a company. I worked for several companies and, and I was never a job hopper. I worked at one place for five years and then another place for seven years and another place for five. And what I would do the most is pay attention to the owner or pay attention to the CEO and think about if I would do the things that he's doing or if I would do them differently and always mm -hmm. absorbing if somebody did something that really rubbed me the wrong way or the staff the wrong way, I would just absorb that and hold that and be like, you know what? It's a good lesson. And some people grew up wanting to be a, a fireman or a police officer or whatever. I've always wanted to run my own company. So I can't really tell you where it came from, but it never really varied from that. It was just something I've always wanted to do. Yeah. Just, just kind of bubbled up, you know, it's like you kind of had your, yeah. your eyes set on and said, Hey, I, I would rather run my own company. And I mean, that kind of like brings me to, you know, we were just talking about like you went to college and you went there for graphic design. So Art Institute, graphic design, mm -hmm. like, well, were you always into graphic design or um, was that, is that part of this process going into to building, you know, Dip Your Car? I was always into art. I liked drawing a lot. I like painting. I like anything art related. And when I was coming out of high school, um, you know, my parents first tried to get me into the army and, um, at the last minute it kind of pivoted and I, I just said I want to do something with art and my dad was like listen you know being an artist maybe not the best move but you know and this is 2001 or so and mm -hmm. you know graphic design was really starting to make a big shift there so he was like look you took a couple of graphic design courses in high school you really liked them maybe you can transition this art into where art is going and get a degree in graphic design and let me tell you something that was one of the most valuable things I've ever done because I went through that entire process of getting a degree in graphic design from, you know, the photoshops and the, the print work, the website building and everything. And when it came up to starting the company, I'm sure we'll get to that discussion. I can't tell you how much time and money it saved me knowing how to do all that stuff by myself. I mean, even yeah, today, instrumental. Like even today, we, we just talked about a little Photoshopping that you did even for like your Facebook page, right? Little things, all those little things that you would just get screwed on, you can yeah. do yourself. And I think that's amazing advice from your dad, right? Especially because it sounded like he was kind of pushing you one direction. Yeah. But he listened and saw that you were passionate about something and said, look, maybe if you're not Picasso, it might not pay out, right? Right. But, but, but there's an industry shift. He's seeing yeah. computers growing. Apple's probably coming up really, really big. At yeah. 2001, did they still have those weird uh, iMacs with the, IMAX? the yeah. yeah, with the orange and blue? Yeah. yeah. And that was really kind of the, the integration of computers into business as well, like an in, in internet. And that was the, so that's really amazing advice from your father. It's pretty cool yeah, to see that. Yeah, yeah, you, you might owe him a little bit for that one. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I've definitely thanked him a couple of times. He's made some key decisions. He, you know, he's uh, he's the type of guy where, you know, we don't have the classic father-son relationship where you're going to baseball games together and he's you know, like your best friend and stuff. Right. But he's definitely steered me in the right direction a couple of times. Yeah, that's always good. You just need, sometimes you just need someone to grab you by the shoulders and point you in the right way. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And that, that's always helpful. Um, <laughs> so... Yeah, no, go ahead, Mark. Yeah, so you graduate Art Institute with a mm -hmm. degree in graphic design. What's next for you after that? Are you starting to go work as a graphic designer? Or are you going a totally different direction and joining another business in a different facet? 
So I started doing some interns, uh, some internships for graphic design. And I liked them, but it was a slow movement. Um, and then I got a job offer, or one of my buddies actually started working at an insurance marketing firm. And he was making a ton of money as a recruiter. And he's like, look, I know, you know what you're doing is, is your career path, but uh, why don't you come in for an interview and see if you want to do this? It's not easy. You know, it's cold calling and it's, it's a lot of grunt work, but the money's there. And I thought, okay, I'll give it a shot. I'm not that much of an uh, extroverted person. I don't mind being in front of the camera, but cold calling people and, and talking in front of people at that point wasn't really something I was comfortable with. But he was making some good money. So I went to that interview and I got that job. And I was there for over seven years. It wasn't what I expected, but for that age, I was making really good money. So it just kind of, it was just the road I took at that point. Yeah. You think you were selling insurance? What, what were you selling? Well, I wasn't actually selling insurance. It was an insurance marketing firm. So what, it, what you normally you have an insurance agent and then the carrier, but there's usually a middleman in between. The insurance agents aren't usually appointed directly to the carriers. So that middleman, that marketing firm is essentially, you know, the insurance agent gets their access to the products through the marketing firm. So what I was doing as a recruiter was calling insurance agents and finding out what products they carry and getting them signed up with our marketing firm to sell products from different carriers. Gotcha. Interesting. I'm sure that's also helped you in, in your current like job is now owning multiple businesses. You have to insure all these things and you kind of know a little bit more about uh, a finicky industry and how, yeah, how kind of things can get hidden. That, that's a pretty interesting move. So and even still, it's very tricky, all those little policies and stuff like that. But. <laughs> Especially with the number of things I'm sure you have to juggle from a, a, a parent company business side is, is, mm-hmm. is wild. But so, so you, so, you do, yeah, go ahead, JP. Well, I was going to say like, um, when you're doing this, you're making a little bit of money, you know, you're, you're doing all right. I mean, obviously you're, you're a car guy You're you know, you, mm-hmm. you like cars, you kind of get, you're, you're big. I see you're pretty big in the Audi VW world, at least. Yeah. Um, from I can tell, um, were you pretty into cars, I guess at that point in time? I wasn't into cars at all until really? I can actually pinpoint the exact moment I became a car guy in 2005. I was going down 95. I was carpooling to that insurance company business uh, with a buddy of mine. I was uh, in the passenger seat, just hanging out the window and a Sprint Blue B5 Audi S4 just goes right by us. And I was like, what the hell was that? So we pull up next to it. For something about that car, the color, the sound, the body style was so aggressive. I just started, I wanted to know exactly what it was. I wanted to know everything about it. So I looked it up online. I couldn't afford an S4 at that moment. So I got an A4, started modifying it and became an Audi fanatic ever since. Yeah, that's hilarious. And you know, we had Ed, Ed Bullion on um, recently. And so I have a I have a stage two B5 S4, it's a 2000 because that's one of those cars that like made me fall in love <laughs> Dude, with that car world. So I have that, I have an Integra GSR. And then Ed yeah. Bullion's like, Ed Bullion's like, you know, he's buying Ferraris. He's doing everything. He's like, I just bought a B5 S4. Like, Dude, I'm, it's, <laughs> it's an iconic car. I'm telling you, it's what got yeah. me into being a car guy and being an Audi enthusiast. There's something about that car. It's just timeless. I don't know. It's weird for, for 
I guess, car guys. I feel like a lot of us kind of got roped into that. Or you had like a friend who had one, you know, yeah. um, or the parents had one in high school was my case. And like, we'd go, you know, we'd go rip around on that thing. I was like, this car's unbelievable. Oh. And then so once I could buy a, a, like a nice used version that wasn't molested or, right. you know, Which is hard or anything, I was like, yeah, it took me years to find one. But um, I just think it's funny to see like what kind of gets people into the car world, um, common common vehicle there yeah but, it is um, yeah because I, I mean you deal like that is your world essentially as cars like that is your your canvas you it know that you're, you're working with every single day so I, I there had to be something there plus i see all your audis on there i'm glad, yeah. the six, so. I'm glad you yeah. asked that question oh jp because there's a there's a um answering questions or ask fonzie anything that you have from 2016 volume two um mm-hmm. i watched that one today and you tell that exact story. And when you told that story, I literally was like, oh, my gosh. Like, mm-hmm. you're describing a car that JP – I'm not a huge car guy. But JP mm-hmm. has, like, described this car in detail to me, like, a hundred times before he bought it. Um, I love that fact. And then Ed, Ed had the same testimony last, last yeah. two weeks ago. So yeah. it's pretty cool. That's funny. Yeah, so um, – go ahead, JP. No, yeah. No, I was going to say, so then I – I guess I'm, you know, I'm trying to figure out this kind of like lineage, like, right, you're doing this job, like, mm-hmm. maybe you become you start to get into cars a little bit. Now, what kind of what kind of gave you the driver? What even got you going to kind of get into this dip your car world slash, you know, sprayable peelable paints? Like how, how and where did this come from? It wasn't intentional. I could tell you that it wasn't it wasn't premeditated. Um, I continued to modify the cars. And, and I, again, I was making really good money at that point. We're talking like 2010 now. So I was buying what, basically whatever car I wanted at that point with, you know, within reason. And I just continued to modify them. And one day I went, my brother um, had moved out of his, my, my mom's house and he was in between places. So he asked if he can come in and move into my house. So he came and moved in. And uh, at one point I went into the garage and I grabbed what I thought was a, an aerosol can of spray paint because I wanted to see what my OEM S4 wheels would look like black. I was thinking about putting them back on. So I wanted That's to get a starter move. That's a starter move every time. So I was like, listen, I'm not gonna, I'll just spray paint them. Worst case scenario, they can strip it off before they powder coat them. So I grabbed this can of spray paint and I spray it on there and I, I let it dry overnight. And I come back out the next day and I'm like, this spray paint feels weird. And I'm, I'm moving around and all of a sudden I roll the edge back off the top and I just peeled it clean off the face of the wheel. And I was like, I'm like, what the, what is this? So I went inside and I asked my brother, I'm like, what kind of paint is this? He's like, oh, that's plastic, man, it's for tools. I'm like, well, what do you have it for? He's like, oh, I was, he had a tow hook on the front of his Mini Cooper that he was uh, spraying. Yeah. And I was like, well, wait, I'm like, dude, this doesn't adhere to the wheel. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, watch. So I peel a piece off. He's like, yeah, but it's not going to do that long term. I'm like, mm, I don't know. So I peel it all off and I sprayed it again. I left it outside for two weeks, forgot about it, came back out two weeks later. And I was like, there's no way this is going to peel off. And it peeled off clean as day. And I was like, okay, hold on a second. I went, I went to Home Depot. I went to Lowe's because nobody carried plastic back then. You couldn't find it. It was impossible. So I grabbed as many cans which I, as I could, which is like six or seven. And I went back and I washed the wheels. I sprayed them all black, the ones that were on the S4. And I'm like, I'm just going to drive this and see what happens. I drove it for about a week and a half and I started getting itchy. And I'm like, well, 
I need to start playing with this stuff more. So I started spraying body panels and things that I'm ashamed to admit. You'll find Audi zine posts out there where I'm literally spraying like the R8 side blade on the side of my S4 just to see what would happen. So I'm spraying it and peeling it, spraying it and peeling it. And one day I was at work and I thought to myself, I wonder if they know that this has an application in automotive. So I called... Um, I, I could go off on a rant here, so pull me no, back if no, you want. No, no, this go. is what we this want is, to hear. This is great, actually. So I called Placidip. I talked to the receptionist, and I was like, do you guys realize that this stuff has potential use in the automotive world? And she's like, well, I don't, we don't really know much about cars, um, but if it's working for you, that's good. And I was like, can I sell this stuff? Is there any way I can sell this? And she's like, well, let me put you on the sales manager. So she puts me on with the sales manager, and I go off on this tangent. And I'm like, listen, there's nothing else that does this. I've tested it for several weeks now. I've tested on multiple surfaces. It grips and it holds and it protects, but it peels off clean. If we can figure out how to make this work in the automotive side, there's a lot of potential here. And she's like, listen, we don't really have any footprint in automotive and we're not really interested in it. And I'm like, well, give me a shot to just sell the black cans. This is on a Friday. And she's like, I'll tell you what, if you make a company, a real registered company, you build a website, come back to me in a month or so, and then we can talk about a distribution contract. So I went home from work early that day. And from I'm getting Friday, out of here. <laughs> what's that? You're like, I'm getting out of here. I got to go. Oh, yeah, this. I left. I was, I'm, I'm like that. Once I get in the mode, like, it's over. Great. Yeah. yeah. I left, I went home, and from Friday that afternoon until Sunday midnight, I built the website. And on Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central Standard Time, I called her back, and I was like, I I need your email address. She's like, why? I'm like, I need to send you a link to my website. She's like, you built the website? I'm like, I built the website. And she's like, did you make the company registered? I'm like, got it, Uh, paperwork's done, it'll take about a day. So she goes on. She sees the website, which was crude, but it was a website. And she comes back and she's like, I'm going to have to give you a call back. So she calls me back the next day and she's like, listen, it's a little non-traditional, but I'm going to let you buy the product a little bit at a time. We'll see how it goes. And then we'll, you know, we'll go. And what I found out years later is that this woman, Deb, went to the upper management this is what i was told she went to the upper management and said look this kid wants to sell this stuff he built a website i want to get and they said no they told her no and she stuck her neck out came back and told me yes anyway <laughs> and i found this out like four or five years into the business wow and i was like I was, I I really, it sat me down. Like it literally sat me down because if she wouldn't have taken that chance on me, I mean, you and I wouldn't be sitting here talking right now. That's for sure. So for her to take that shot, she's like, there's something, there was something about you and the passion, just the determination of it. I was just not taking no for an answer type thing. And that's not really my style much. I'm not a very pushy guy. I just had that obsessive feeling that there was something there. And then, you know, we're talking now early 2011, 
So we ran the business out of my garage from then until April of 2012. And I remember sitting at that job and I had this little app on my phone. It was, it was an app that was tied to PayPal. And every time we only had PayPal as a, as a payment source back then. Right. And every single time we would get an order, my phone would chime. And of course, you know, it's in the beginning. Um, it would only chime a day once or twice a day. And there was one day where it just kept going off every three, five minutes, every 10 minutes, it would chime. And I obviously I thought there was some kind of error and I kept looking, I'm like, what is going on now? This will tie in because it just happened to be the day after we put up our first YouTube video. Oh man. But I thought to myself like, okay, this might work like this, there's, this might be something. And that day is when I had to decide, I went home and I talked to my parents and I talked to my brothers. And I was like, listen, I, I may quit my job and just see if I can do this dip your car thing all the way. That's crazy. What I love is that that gal, uh, you said Deb, I think it was, or, or Debbie or something like that. Yeah. When she hung up on the hung up, you know, off that phone call with you on that Friday, she's like, I'll probably never, never hear from that guy again. Yeah. She's like, <laughs> and I think the fact a month that- or so. Yeah, I think the fact that you came back, like, you know, hey, it's Monday, I need your email, I'm ready to go. Like, this is all set, paperwork's going through. She was probably like, all right, this is somebody who's actually taking this serious. This is somebody who sees, them, you know, stuff of there. Yeah. So the, you kind of stuck your neck out, and then she was like, all right, if he's going to do it, like, I, I'm, I believe in this right now. So yeah, that's pretty awesome. That's a great story. I, I've, got, I've got one question about the story. So you build the website, you do everything. How'd you pick the name? Uh, I wanted the website to be placid for cars. And she said, you can't do that. You can't use our trademark name in, in the website. And I was on the phone with her and I said, okay, well, can I just do dip your car? And she's like, yeah, you can do that. Oh my like, God. Yeah, I'll just do that. <laughs> it's just as simple as that. Just as simple as that. That's amazing. Cause it, it is such a, like, it's a, it, it's such a standout name. I love, I love that. It just like, mm, can I do this? Yeah, go for it. Boom. It just clicked. And it's funny because we ended up creating this verb, essentially, you know, dipping your car didn't right. exist at that point. So we just turned that name into a verb. And uh, luckily she let it slide because I have a funny feeling if we, cause they're very protective. I mean, right. as they should be, there's been so many copycat, rip off companies out there Astolium, you know i'm not gonna say any names but yeah and and no way am i saying that the others that are competing in this market with me are not stand-up people or i'm not saying anything like that because there are some great ones out there and i'm actually really friendly with some of them um i've always been the type of person to say there's plenty of room for everybody there's no reason why there needs to be just one i've never wanted to just be the only one I welcome people into this world if they're going to do it the right way. But Plastic is very protective over the word dip. And you did, you know, mention someone there that got held to the fire for that. And I have a feeling if it was today and I wanted to use the term dip your car, it wouldn't go. But back then, this whole thing didn't exist. So they're like, yeah, she's like, go for it. Yeah. You kind of snuck in there a little bit on oh, yeah. that, which is great. Well, I mean, it's fascinating to me when people find uses for products that they don't know, you know, uh, forget the marketing term for it. Um, but you know, it's essentially like you you find a whole new market 
for their product that they didn't even know about because I forget what they, they were like originally. What was it for? It was wasn't it like dipping like tool handles in for grip? Yeah, yeah. And it like was a, it was like a full strength, traditionally like a twenty two ounce uh, tin where you would dip the, the handle yep. of your tool and Uncle then they came off. out. Yeah, they would come out with the aerosol version for like a wicker chair or a, a, an iron chair stuff mm. like that. Just the things that you couldn't fit essentially into the canister. Right. And the aerosols you know, they, they weren't big movers at that point, at least from what I was told. So, um, and there weren't gallons either. I mean, ga the gallon piece is a huge part of our business now. And back then I was actually taking black and white aerosols and just emptying them into cups to make custom grays and to, you know, taking the liquid out of the aerosols like that and then putting them in the paint cup because wow. they didn't even have gallons back then. So right. it was a, a long progression and evolution of the products. How do you how do you take yeah. paint out of an aerosol? The only safe way to do it is literally just stand there and go oh into a cup until it's over. Yeah, yeah. That's but you needed a better application method, and you couldn't do just one can at one rattle can at a time. Is a you're gonna your, your hand you're gonna lose your hand. You're gonna lose. Your I hand. made I made the mistake or took the adventure of rattle canning my entire car twice that's crazy that was the cool. uh the first car you ever fully plastic dipped is the s4 you did yeah. it in blue and it was with a rattle can right black black okay i did it black first and then i did it in white both times were aerosols and then the third time i did it i called it stealth gray which was just a 50 50 mix of black and white <laughs> aerosols together. that's what I, was, and I love that you called it stealth gray as if yeah, it was like yeah. this cool color that you made up Branding is, is important. <laughs> so this is, okay, so we'll tie this back in. So like how, when, you know, when you said, hey, I want to do this, you know, full time, essentially, like when did you actually like make that call? That Friday that I told you about. So wow. when, I, when my phone started firing off and we, we got like 25 to 35, I don't remember the number. We got a bunch of orders that day, which was way more than the two to three that we were getting per day before. Yeah. And I went home that night and I started running some numbers and I was like, okay, I'm either going to put a short-term goal in front of me to say, if I can hit a certain number of revenue, I'm out, I'm doing it full time. And yeah. it was a six month goal. I wanted to hit um, whatever the number was per day in revenue. That would mean that I could pay for my bills because I had saved up a bunch of money. I, I, I'd be able to pay for my bills. I'd be able to handle the cost of the website and everything. And we actually hit that in eight weeks. Jeez. It was supposed to be six months out and we hit it in eight weeks. So that the day that we hit that number, I stuck to the program. I called around, I found a shop that we could do the installations in, that we can do you know, the shipping from, and had a little warehouse in the back and everything. And it was available. I went there, signed the lease, and I put my two weeks in, that was it. And my entire family thought it was insane. And that's yeah, what did your company think? There wasn't a company. Oh, the company I was working yeah. for? Yeah. Yeah. Um, They're like, where are you going? You're like, I'm, I'm going to sell paint. <laughs> yeah. If Again, full transparency, I lied a lot about that. I inflated where the company was so that people wouldn't try to convince me to stay. Yeah. Because I'd been there for so long, and I had a, a pretty critical position there. Um, and I knew if I was going to pull the story of, look, I really like this place, but I got to try this. I got to follow it. I need to know if this is going to work or not. They're going to convince me to stay. They're going to throw money at me, whatever it was. So I just said, look, we've already established this. 
it's at a level where I, I don't have a choice. I have to keep going with it. Um, we have potential buyers on the desk now. This is enough to sustain myself for a while. So I, I just position it in a way that they just stepped back and said, listen, it sounds like a great opportunity. We don't want to step in your way. Go for it. And then I just took the exit at that point. Yeah. And I think that's kind of good, too. At the same time, you know, not everyone sees the same kind of dream that you have or what you wanted to do. So regardless of how you told them that it might not have made sense anyways, you know, I agree. So it might have been best to do that. Well, it wasn't the logical decision. It wasn't the safe decision. That's for sure. I know I, I really don't want to harp on this too much, but for that age, I was making a lot of money and to walk away from that, to start your own business and start from scratch, it, a big risk and, and a lot of entrepreneurs will tell you that and most of them take that big risk at one point they've yeah. got to make that jump but my plan was i was really kind of over that job anyway it had gotten bought out by another company the new management was not really my style so i thought i'll try the dip your car thing and if it doesn't work i'll go to the audi dealership and, and sell audis and there was actually a point where about six weeks into running Dip Your Car, things kind of slid and, and settled. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go to the Audi dealership. So I went to Audi Coral Springs. I did an interview. They're like, sounds great. Let's start Monday. And I never showed up for that Monday. <laughs> I just, just couldn't do it. That's fantastic. But I love that point. Man. It's, it's kind of, I don't know. I, I kind of like the way you can like, everything is kind of like, Hey, I'm just, you know, I've got a hunch and that's something I'm passionate about. I want to go do it. Um, I love that. I think, I think this is kind of where we can almost jump into saying like, Hey, how did the YouTube now kick off? And how did this YouTube help you get to these goals that a helped you, you know, hit that, you know, what were the eight weeks in that you guys hit those goals? Mm -hmm. Like when, how did the YouTube channel start and how did this start to like, you know, impact what you were doing as a business? So YouTube for us was, was everything. Um, there was no way that this company would work unless I can show people how to do it and for them to walk away thinking, Man, I could do that. It would never work. Nobody knew what peelable paint was. Nobody knew what Plastidip was. Nobody was willing to just take this random product, spray it all over their car, their prized possession, trust somebody that oh, everything will be fine and then just ride out it was a super low percentage so i thought one day well i'm gonna demonstrate how to do it this is exactly when we started hitting that low i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna show people how to do it i'm gonna put together a video i didn't think about the production value i didn't think about anything because if you ask any of our like long-term customers they'll know wasn't wearing shoes and socks in that video it was right in front of my, my garage at the time. I was using my brother's car. It filmed on a tiny little silver camera that barely even took video. I used a twig, like literally a twig off the ground to peel some of the excess dip off when we we're cleaning up the emblem. But I figured I'm going to put it up and just see. Because at that point, the goal wasn't really to just put a video up on YouTube and then have a bunch of people flock to it and then just increase our revenue. It was for me to point to something. Yeah. Like, hey, listen, you can change the color of your emblems and your grill really easy. And it's per it's not permanent. It's temporary. You can take it back off and go back to OEM. 
instead of them taking my word for it, I wanted something to point to and be like, listen, I'll send you the link, watch the video, and you can decide if it's good for you or not. So that was the purpose of that video. And if you look at the analytics of that video, it just didn't do anything until one day. It just popped. For whatever reason, it just popped. It may have been because I posted it on the Audi Zine forum or what, but when we when that one jumped, you know, when you start a YouTube channel, you don't really assume, okay, we're just gonna get a bunch of subscribers and a bunch of views. We're gonna have to grind for this. At least I that's what I thought. And for some reason, the views and subscribers just started coming. And then I did another video and another video. And I started realizing, okay people are finding this somehow either it's being shared or being i don't even know if recommended was was part of the deal back then but for us to be able to demonstrate the products and prove to people that this is something you can do yourself i think it set the whole thing up and why why was the medium of youtube your choice at that moment why not you know instagram was around other things where there's a short clip where you could say like this is the product why was it youtube I'm not sure I'd have to look up when Instagram became popular. I'm not sure Instagram was, was circulating too much in 2011. If it was, I hadn't seen it. Um, it just, I don't know why I just, I had seen YouTube videos before. I knew it was a platform where I can put things up. I just needed somewhere to host the video. Yeah. Again, I wasn't looking for people to find it. I was just looking for somewhere to host it so that I can easily send it to them without sending them a video file. So yeah. it was just kind of what worked. That makes total yeah. sense too, because I'm sure it was a much, much larger added cost for your web maintenance to have hosting mm-hmm. embedded, and that's a whole other code that you would yeah. add to write into it, and that it's a it's a simple solution for a complex problem, and, oh, yeah. and that's amazing. And a lot of people, you were talking about that jump of like you have to leave. I think uh, I was reading this article called The Algebra of Math, or sorry, The Algebra of Wealth, not math. Um, And what they say is uh, similar to that. Like, so many people can reflect, like billionaires will reflect and say, oh, it's so easy, just follow your passion. You know, you have to have the passion for it. But what they don't talk about, and what you kind of really showed is, there's a grind. You're gonna grind. If you really like it, you're gonna grind. And if you can make it through the grind, there's a... You know, there's a vacation after, what, eight years of doing it that you can take. There's the benefits come later. But if you don't grind through it, there's no light at the end of that tunnel. So, yeah, I think what's interesting, though, and I can't speak for everybody, but the way I'm programmed and the way I think a lot of people similar to me are programmed is it it was a grind by definition, but it was never difficult in the sense that I never didn't want to do it. Like I got into a mindset where I, I had this giant whiteboard in the beginning. Cause in the very beginning, the first six to eight months, it was only me. I had a huge whiteboard with just dozens and dozens of tasks that need to be completed. And there were a couple of times where I'd get a little bit overwhelmed, but it was a matter of just task orientation, just one thing at a time. If I can cross off the whiteboard one item at a time, I knew I was making progress. And for a long time, not working towards that movement or that goal was more stressful to me than being in the trenches, if that makes sense. Yeah. Trying to take time off, trying to relax, trying to do something social made me anxious because I wanted to be on that grind. So 
I think that if you don't have that kind of programming where it's an automated motivation, I think it's going to be a tough ride because I never felt like even today, I never, I feel like I haven't had a job since 2011. I've worked harder than I've ever worked and I've spent more mental and physical energy on this than I ever have, but it's, it's for something different. It's like an internal passion and it's not work to me. It's more life, if that makes sense. So if you start your own business and you don't have that passion, I know it sounds cliche, but if you don't have that automated obsessive drive, that's going to fuel you, you're going to have a tough time because that's what makes you work till four in the morning and never complain about it. That's what makes you not do the social things and never complain about it because you can't shift off of it. It's like you're locked on it and it, it coming off the rail makes you more uncomfortable than being on the rail. Yeah. It seems like uh, maybe also you, you probably have a little bit of OCD. Like just think of like your work that you go into and how like, how perfect you make things and how how well done everything is that carries over straight into like how you go about your business too it's like hey i want to cross all these items off i want to do all yeah. these tasks and i got i can't just ignore them i have to do them well i would say and i think my wife would say it's a selective ocd because yeah, my makes sock sense. drawer is a mess <laughs> that makes sense. i'm leaving stuff all over the house i'm not ocd in the sense that everything's got to be perfect and clean but when i get obsessed with something yeah. I feel genuinely bad for everyone around me because there's nothing that can take me off that. It's just over. Yeah. When you're super passionate about it and I'm the same way, I'll just get locked in on it. And if, you know, my fiance would be like, Hey, and I'm like, Hey, I just have to do this you for have the to. next five minutes. Right. For the next five minutes, I, I have to ignore you, yeah. but I will, yeah. once I'm done, we can, we can talk, you know, just uh, yeah, I, I think it's kind of important. And the selective piece is good too. Cause then you're not like, you know, closing the door six times behind you. Uh, when you, no. when you leave there. Well, it allows you to like focus on the main thing at, and ha at hand. And I feel like if you had it in other facets, it would be overwhelming to the point of like, you're thinking of five different whiteboards in your mind that you have to check something off. You would never be able to let go. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a big list guy. And even to this day, I'll get that vibe where I feel like there's just that hurricane in your mind where things are spinning too fast. You don't know what to grab. You don't know what to focus on. You get that moment where you're just like, this is just too much. And I will literally sit down and I'll just put a line, a T on a piece of paper. And on the left side are the, the problems that I have that I already have a solution for. I just haven't done them yet. And on the right side are the problems that I don't know what the fix is yet. And everything that goes on the left side loses its value. There's no way I'm going to be upset or frustrated or feel tense about something that I already know how to fix. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. just a matter of getting there. Yeah. On the right side, the things that I know, I don't know what the solution is yet. That's where my mental energy is going to go. I mean, that's so logical. It makes total sense there. And so let, I want to go back to YouTube. So you, you've been uploading for over nine years, almost 10. I think 10 will be uh, September. No, September 27th, 2011. Yeah. yeah. So you're coming up on 10 years. 1.03 million subscribers at this point. Just hit that. Congratulations. Thank you. How, how did it feel to hit? So 
I, we, I also want to talk about that first video that you you said. That first video has three point four million views. Like mm-hmm. not nothing to to tout at as not small at all. That's a big number of views. But let's talk about like that's a that's a one to start. That's got to kind of be crazy to start. How did it just? You said it just started trending, but did it go from like five thousand to twenty thousand to six hundred thousand? How was what was that like? That journey. Uh, from a subscriber point of view, it was just uh, it was just a steady grind. Um, and then it was just a matter of kind of going through three phases. In the beginning, it was really easy. In the middle, it was very difficult. And then the third phase is, again, I would say it's fun. Not easy, but fun. The first phase of our videos and our channel was, it was very straightforward. It was it, it, I didn't even have to think. It was, I'm going to take these products that you haven't seen I'm going to show you how to use them. So we would, as the product would evolve, we'd always have content. I want to show you how the blaze aerosols work. I want to show you how the true metallic, metallic aerosols work. I'm going to show you how to dip your emblems, your roof, your car, how to use pearls. The first phase was this, this automated tutorial phase. And then we started running out of things to teach. That second phase was the difficult phase because, and that's where our channel kind of took a low. At that point, I thought, because we're a business, that all of our videos needed to be transactional. They all needed to drive towards a conversion. I Here's a gunmetal gray car kit, and here's how you can buy it. Here's the flex blue car kit, and here's the link to buy it. So I would be demonstrating products with the intention of selling them. And that wasn't exciting to film, and it wasn't exciting, in my opinion, to watch. Once in a while, we'd have something like a color that would be different or something that would be different that would, you know, a lot of the color shifts and stuff that were coming out would draw attention. But the, the beginning of the third phase where I started to realize this doesn't have to be a conversion every time the video can be more about the brand and more about in just the viewers enjoying it and more about just eyeballs in general. And that can still be the win. Because in the beginning, a lot of the YouTube channels you talk to, it's tough because their win are, their win is viewers. Their win is subscribers. Their viewers go up, their subscribers go up, their ad revenue goes up, they win. My win is not when you view or not when you subscribe, it's when you buy. Yeah. We're a retail-based channel. So it was hard to lose that focus because in the beginning, I was so focused on these videos have to transition to conversions. Our win is you coming to the website and buying. And after a while, I started realizing I don't have to try to do that. That's not what this channel is about and that's not what's going to make it successful. We did one video in maybe 2017 or 18, I'd have to look it up, where we didn't know what color to, to promote that video. And I told Gabe, let's just mix two together. And <laughs> we mixed two gallons together. It was two, two different, a blue and a, and a green. We sprayed the car and that video immediately popped up. Our, our first 24 hour trends, because my routine is, I'll launch a video and I will not look at the views until 7 p.m. the next night. 
we launch around the same time or we upload around the same time, 7 p.m. the next night is how I'll gauge the interest in the video. If it's on trend, if it's over trend, if it's under trending, that one was three or four times our normal trend. Wow. And I thought to, I was like, okay, people really like this experimentation stuff. But I was so torn because I was like, but what, what good does this do us? They can't buy the kit. The, this, there's no kit for this. It's, if you wanted to make this into a kit, you would need an odd number of blue and green gallons. And to try to piece this together, it's a logistical nightmare. So great, we got views, but no one's going to buy this color. So I went back to the original routine. And of course, the views dipped again. And I was like, you know what? Let's just try to do another mix. We did another mix and it popped. <laughs> and I remember sitting down after dinner one day and I was just thinking, I was like, Maybe that's what this is about. Maybe this is just about having fun, putting up videos that people enjoy, just letting the brand organically grow. And when they watch the videos, if they're interested, they'll come to the website. If they're interested even more, eventually they'll buy. But it, just do it for eyeballs and do it for fun. And that's when that third phase started, when the channel really started to take off. So what's the yeah. most fun experimental dip that you've made in your opinion? Like what's been the most fun one that's changed your whole mind on what it looked like or something like that? I think the Pearl Bomb video was was a turning point for us because that just simply didn't exist before we did it. And that's when we had the black base down and with our buddies over at KP Pigments, we just took handfuls of dry pearl powder and just threw it on the car and just let it land and let it land and let it land and and we just created this pearl bomb we called it and then we cleared over the top and nobody had ever really seen anything like that and that video when we launched it broke all of our records yeah. it, our the first i think our first 24-hour trend at that point was like eight or ten thousand views and that one did 30 and we were like holy Whoa. crap yeah. so that one was a turning point for us because I knew at that point, I'm, I'm not sure there's a point where I could take this too far, you know, with, with, you know, making sure within just regular parameters of not doing anything stupid, but I'm not sure if there's an experiment that could really go too far. Same thing with the pendulum painting thing that we did yeah, that was a or cool one. the, you know, just, yeah, you can't go onto the website and buy a pendulum painting car kit. And even if you could, it would be really freaking expensive and really difficult to do, but it doesn't have to be transactional. It could just be something where we have fun doing it, which I think you know as well as I do, the viewers know if you're enjoying the video or not. Yeah. It comes across. If you're not having fun and you don't <laughs> want to be doing it, there's a good chance you're not going to want to watch it either. So now we just do videos that we think are fun, that we want to see how it's going to turn out, and we just have a lot of like-minded people that feel the same way. It, yeah. It's entertaining to watch. I mean, the I, I really like the pendulum one especially because it's just like I would have never, ever, ever thought to do that. And I was like, okay, I got to see what this looks like. You got you yeah. to stay. You, and one thing that you do really well is because the experiment takes time and you mm -hmm. talk to them throughout it, you have to stay to the end, which is another algorithm boost for you, which yeah. is great. Like you, you can't just start – pearl bomb be like hmm, all right well good good four minutes see you later like you got yeah it. <laughs> well it's funny you say that because 
we rarely ever get negative comments. We're lucky enough that we have this tight-knit community where people will voice their opinion. I love how it came out or ah, that color's not really for me, but rarely do we get a negative comment. But the one comment I'll get every three or four months is, dude, you talk too much. And I'm thinking, okay, first of all, you could skip the talking, bro. You could always skip it. But I'd much rather explain to our viewers what we're doing, how we're doing it, why we're doing it that way, and then go into the project and then explain how it went and what challenges we had and how it you know turned out the way we expected it to or not. And, but I always find that entertaining when somebody be like, bro, you talk too much just to show the painting. <laughs> it's like, dude, there's more of a story to tell there. But I, yeah. I always get a kick out of that. You're going to have to make them an ASMR video, you know, on your own for that one. Yeah, um, exactly. But no, I, I think what, what I, what's <laughs> great about your channel, why, why I love what you guys do now and what I loved what you guys did in the beginning is that it was almost like you were just doing like necessity tutorials. Yeah. explanation videos here's how to do it and now you're to like what's possible like also perfection and in a world where getting a vinyl wrap on your car or having your trim you know whether repainted or something like that um is thousands and thousands of dollars you're showing people hey you can do this you can do the exact same thing almost get the exact same results as you might see with a wrap pretty freaking close to it um and you can do it by yourself and you can do it yeah. cost effectively and you don't have to, you know, spend, you know, $3,500 on a wrap. You can go ahead and like make your own car. You can customize your own car now. If you don't like it, guess what? Just peel it off. Start again. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's crazy to see what you guys are doing. Like what's possible nowadays is insane. Yeah. And that's that's one of the things that really separates us from, from vinyl. And I have a lot of respect for vinyl. I, I, when we had our, our shop in the beginning, we offered vinyl wraps. I know what it's like to vinyl wrap a car. It's not easy. Those guys have a massive skill set. They mm -hmm. really do a great job for what they do. But there's two major You To vinyl wrap your own car without any proper training or experience is a low percentage project. There are some DIYers who can do it. I would never make the claim that they couldn't. It's a professional. It, it really takes a very specific skill set. If you take 100 random people and another 100 random people... Okay and you have a hundred of those people try to vinyl wrap their car, a hundred of those people try to dip their own car, the percentage of successful people on the dipping side would be way higher than the vinyl wrap side. But there's a place for all of it. There's plenty of market for paint. There's plenty of market for vinyl. There's plenty of a market for dipping. Doesn't yeah. have to be one taking over another or one better or worse than the other. We can all coexist perfectly fine they're just different products for different purposes yeah definitely i would now but it's like I mean, even i think they all they kind of offer the same that's what i kind of love about all of your you know all of your products obviously you know everything that plastic dip has done as well and it's like it just makes it easy for the the kind of regular guy who maybe does a little bit here and there on his car to be able to go say hey you know what i want to do black rims for winter or i want to you know black out my my emblems uh, because there's a bunch of chrome on this car and I don't like chrome. Like it makes it easy, right? It's, it's fantastic. And I would say that number of hundred versus hundred significantly rose after 2011, right? Since you started making these videos, it, it you really make it approachable to do something like this where even, even if it, you know, Plasti Dip and you hadn't had this, you know, relationship, I, I don't think it would have been the same, right? 
vinyl wrap and paint still probably would be the two major obviously they would be the major options that you would do for your car and i i would not paint my car in my garage with just a little bit of tarping from home depot or from you guys you know but i would 100 percent dip my car in my garage because i could watch videos for days yeah uh, there's a time and a place for everything i mean I, I do see hashtags from time to time and, you know, from our customers, like paint is dead, vinyl is dead. And you'll never see a post from me, a comment from me, a video from me where I say anything like that at all, you yeah. know, for whole cars, you know, there's pros and cons. Now, when you're talking about wheels and emblems, there's really no substitute. There's even vinyl guys will use our products for, you know, blacking out trim, blacking out emblems and wheels. Cause you can vinyl wrap the face of a wheel, which you've seen on YouTube, but you can't get down into all the crevices a lot of times. Emblems, what they'll do is just take them off and replace them. So when it comes to blacking out or changing the color of emblems and wheels and trim grills, it's peelable paints all day. When you get to the whole car applications, it's just about what's your budget? Do you want to do it yourself? You know, what's the best fit for you? And there's plenty of room for every product out there. Yeah. And so going back to your channel is like, what, what's the, what's the first video? Cause you have 47 videos over a million views. Mm-hmm. Um, three of them are also knocking on the door. So you're ba- let's call it 50. Cause you know, the views come in every day and you have six videos over 5 million views. Mm-hmm. What was it like to get your first million view video? Like how were you, obviously you didn't know for, even if it was less than 24 hours, you wouldn't have known, but you know, what was that like? Um, it's the, it was the same routine as when we hit a million subscribers. And I would never want to f- sound ungrateful or like a, a party pooper, but I've got this kind of like resetting mentality. And I think a lot of people in my position may as well. Where, yeah, I, I remember sitting outside of my garage and talking to my buddy Brad and being like, dude, if we ever got to a hundred orders in one day, cause I don't, I don't drink. I stopped drinking a long time ago and I was, you know, a little when I was 21, it wasn't really my thing. I was like, if we ever get to a hundred orders in one day, I will have a beer with you. And he's like, that's never going to happen. dude." I'm like, I know it'll never happen. <laughs> and it's the same thing where, you know, I was like, if we ever get to a million subscribers, Oh my God. The problem is by the time you get there, it, it, it doesn't mean anything anymore. You right. already have shifted and reset towards something else that, and I was even a little bit upset about it. When we hit a million, I didn't even realize it. You know, somebody sent me a text like, yo, congrats on a million. I'm like, oh yeah, I guess I should post something. You get these long-term goals that mean a lot to you when you're far from them. Yeah. But at least for me, as I creep up to them, everything flips and resets and it's like, well, now the long-term goal is over here. And it's like, yeah, a million, cool, whatever. Let's just keep going. Cause now what's after a million, what's after a hundred orders. Okay. We hit a hundred. Can we hit 400? It, it, and again, I don't want to sound ungrateful cause I'm not at all, but I think it's in a way healthy to just have that resetting feature where you're, where you're always looking for next. Cause there's an extreme lack of complacency there. And there's probably also an unhealthy side of you never stop to smell the roses. 
Yeah. I've never in the last 10 years sat down and been like, man, we really kicked some ass. Or like, man, we, we, we did great. I've never had that moment because I always feel like we're one day away from failing. I always feel like tomorrow the revenue can go from X number of dollars to zero. I always feel like somebody's chasing us. There's just this constant unsettled feeling that if if we don't keep going, it's going to fall apart. And I know that that's great from like a, a motivation point of view, but, and it's exhausting at the same time, but I just can't turn that off. Well, it's like you, you hit something on the whiteboard or, or it's on the whiteboard, hit a million subscribers at 500,000. And then when you hit 750, 850, you're like, okay, I gotta, I gotta erase that because that's gonna happen. I, I need to get further. What's, what's the next yeah. step down that road? Is it two million? Is it four million? It's just like you know, like you said, hit 100. Man, that's great. That's cool. Can we hit four? I mean, yeah, it's, it's always a constantly moving variable though. Like if you just have, if you're not, if you're not reflecting and adjusting your goals accordingly to how you are performing or what you're doing, then you're not gonna go anywhere, right? Like you kind of have to keep moving the goalposts. You know yeah. what I mean? You got to yeah. keep moving the goalposts down the road. I mean, you probably think about that on other terms of life too. Like when you think about exercising or, you know, being at the gym or something like that, like you probably have a same, a similar mentality, you know? Um, yeah. It's just, it's hard to be happy with where you're at if you're always looking to go somewhere else. Yeah. You know, I actually have in my desk when we, the day we moved into our shop in 2012, it was like April 5th on a yellow piece of paper. I wrote down, our 10 goals for that year. And then we scratched them out and flipped it over and we put our 10 goals for five years. And I still have, and we crossed them out as we went. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> and I still have that piece of paper. And sometimes I'll read it and I'll be like, it'll say like, you know, reach a hundred subscribers on YouTube and, and stuff like that. And it is cool to reflect on it because the times were so simpler back then. And, and we, we just didn't know what the possibilities were. Um, but I don't think we'll ever get to the point. I'm just speaking for myself. I don't think I'll ever get to the point where I'll feel like, all right, we did it. We made it. You know, we're good. It's just a constant feeling of, I don't want to say dread, but just unsettled. Yeah. I mean, even I think I've always ever since I've started working, um, I mean, outside of college, it's always the mentality of like, hey, you could get fired today. So just do your best, <laughs> you know, get out there. Yeah. And, and, and try to be your best. But uh, no, I, I mean, I think it's a good mentality. And especially as an entrepreneur, like it's all on your shoulders. You don't have a machine that's working for you on the back end to do that. So no. you've got to come up with new ways to be creative and, and keep, you know, keep, keep the dream alive, essentially, right? Um, which is awesome. Um, but then, I mean, you, it, it is also the, 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 what, the joys in the journey, right? Rather than sometimes it's all about the road trip that gets you there. It's not so much about like the actual destination. So maybe you, you get a lot of that too. Um, but what about when you started, like, you know, especially when you start coming up with uh, some more of your own brand stuff and, and items and products and you're kind of growing your shop and things like that, like any of those milestones kind of like register with you or was it more of just like a, you know, hey, this is just a necessity. I have to get the nice shop with the bays and everything like that in there. Uh, the time we got our current warehouse. Yeah. That was an eye opener. Um we went from my garage to a storage unit to another storage unit to a third storage unit. And then we went to a warehouse and then we bought out the four warehouses around us 
And then when we got the one we're in now, we went from like 15,000 square foot to about 40,000. And wow. I remember walking through it with the realtor, it was empty. And it just looked like, I just remember looking around going like, do we really need all this space? And he's like, well, you told me how many racks you want and how many pallets you want. You want to build a paint booth. You want to do all these things. This is, you need 40,000 square feet. I remember standing in the front of it and feeling so small. And that must have been like, daunting. Yeah, it really was like, what are we going to do with all this? This is going to be, it's going to be just too much. And by the time we moved in and we brought all the products in from the different warehouses we had, it, it filled up. And I was like, okay, this was right. This is right. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Also, the scale probably was a bit shocking. So that's like immediately going to register with you. <laughs> yeah, I felt very uncomfortable. I actually took one of those panoramic YouTube, what the uh, iPhone picture things. Yeah. And I still have it on my phone. I look at it because I just remember thinking like, what are we going to do with this? Like, we're making a mistake. There's no reason why we need something this big. But the math worked out to say that we did. Yeah. The number of racks, the number of pallets, and what we wanted to do with it said we needed 40,000. And at this point, we could use an, another 10 or 15,000. Wow. That's pretty cool, though. Like, And, and 40,000 square feet empty is uh, a daunting space yeah. just to look at. Yeah, but. You know, if you probably added up the, if you had multiple warehouses and you added up all the square footage, you probably. It was getting pretty close. Yeah, pretty close. Yeah. So in 2016, you also had that, you know, Ask Fonzie Anything series. Do you mm -hmm. still, do you still do that series? No. No, it's a good one. Just bring it back. I know. I know. I should. I actually had a vlog channel for a while. Was that on the vlog channel? No, that was on. Was that that on, was on dip your car. Yeah, dip your car. Really? Yeah, yeah, I should probably bring that back. It was great. Forgot and so in in this volume two, which I referenced earlier, you also say that you read and responded to every comment. Yeah. Um, you also responded to someone who said, uh, why are you emailing people at three in the morning and responding? And you're like, because it's my job. That's what I do. Like, I'm, I want, if you ask a question, I'm going to answer it no matter what time it is. And if I'm there, I can. I thought that was awesome. But so do you still respond and, and read all the comments or are you now like only a certain time frame or is it through the channel or call the, the phone number? What, what, what's the, so are you talking about YouTube comments? Specifically? Yeah. YouTube comments specifically. So I read every YouTube comment that is emailed to me. So when you get to a certain point, YouTube won't email you every comment. Okay. I don't know what percentage it is, but Everyone that comes to my email, I'll read it. And if it requires a response, I'll respond. A lot of times, if it's really positive and supported, I'll hit the little love button on it. Um, but I still do. I, there, there will never be a YouTube comment hit my email box that I don't read. What about the guy um, that had been commenting for four years? Dude, <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up. I didn't. That's hilarious, didn't, by the way. Dude, I, this is this is a really interesting topic specifically on the YouTube side, because I read that comment and he's like, dude, I've been asking for four years. And I was like, this dude's full of shit, man. There's no way, yeah. but I was interested. So I searched his name on the back end of the YouTube and dozens and dozens of comments, the same request. And it went back almost four years. 
And I told Gabe, I was like, dude, we, we should do this video. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, okay, but dude, those two color components going together. So he was asking for four years to mix two different color components together. Every video we posted, he asked for. And I told Gabe, I think this might be something. And he's like, those colors going together, it's not going to look very good. So we did a really small scale, couple of drops, swirled it together, and it was just an interesting gray. And I was like, this is going to, this is going to bomb. It's going to, this video is going to bomb. The concept is there. The interest is there, the intrigue, but the end result won't do it. So we, we scheduled a different video for that week and we just passed on it. The next week came through and I was like, dude, let's just do it. Because how many chances do you get to tell that story? Even if the end result isn't worth it, at least we tried it because we learned a long time ago, you never know what's going to work. I don't care how much you know your analytics and your audience and your history. You don't know what either YouTube's going to pick up and carry for you or people are going to share or people are going to talk about. It's impossible right. to know. The ones that you think are going to explode, flop. And the ones that you think are going to flop, go. So we did the video. We filmed it. We looked at the end result in the booth and we're like, bro, it's just like a fancy primer gray. You can barely see a little metallic. But it's just, and I was like, who cares, dude? If we have one video bomb, at least we know. And that video did great. It was like one, one almost one and a half million views in like a month of however long. Yeah, 1.5 right. million views one month. That's yeah. a great With video. a ton of engagement. More, <laughs> more important than anything was the engagement and the subscribers that we got off that video. Because if you read through the comments, it's such a feel-good story. Yeah. And people appreciated so much that we took the time to recognize this guy and what he's been doing and his, his dedication. And we saw his project through. And our subscribers spiked huge that week. The views did great. YouTube took it and just shoved it in front of a bunch of people's faces. There's a bunch of comments in there saying, I don't know how I got here, but I love it. <laughs> and the thing that was that. the most interesting for me was the, the thumbnail to me was such a miss you know how it is you guys are on youtube all the time thumbnails are critical yeah if you don't have a thumbnail that's interesting they're going to go right over it and our thumbnail for that was just a down shot at the white mixing it looks like a bucket of milk with two bags yeah. of pearl and i'm like whatever dude if it bombs it bombs and people are like dude the thumbnail grabbed me the thumbnail grabbed me and i'm like i know nothing about youtube the only thing I'll say <laughs> that's about what that. I've had to come to grips with. I know nothing. It's aesthetically pleasing thumbnail though. The white, the contrast. Yeah. And his you, comment you of uh, yes, I can die now. Asterix yeah. dies has 142,000 thumbs ups. That's got to be twice. one of the most liked comments on YouTube. It's It's like twice the number of likes as the video itself. Yeah, uh, that's hilarious. It it it's has wild. yeah, almost exactly twice the number of likes yeah. as the video. Yeah. That is amazing. I love I yeah. love that man. Yeah, your comment section is always great, especially you know um, I love the bicep ones when everyone's just like can't stop looking at those biceps, man. Just can't stop staring at the biceps. One of the funniest things, and then the memes going around. 
um, the Shakeway ad where instead of the yeah. Shakeway, it's a Plasti Dip can. That's all time great. That's fantastic yeah. one. People love the biceps. Uh, you know what? Um, it's a good thing too because when you're on YouTube for a while and people get an image of you, you're kind of locked into that. And it has definitely kept me in the gym because from an ego point of view, from a personal point of view, if I ever go on YouTube one day and start getting comments of like, you look small, bro. Why you stop working? You don't want that. You don't want that. So, you know, you know, in a funny way, I'm saying that, but people like what they like. And, and, you know, I, I, you never really know why people like your videos or, or watching, but I learned a really important lesson the other day. And I was very proud of us actually, because we've tried three different videos featuring somebody considerably more famous than us, a couple different YouTube guys and recently riffraff. Mm -hmm. And every one of those videos bombed. And I, in the beginning, I was very just, when we did the first two, we had a, a really popular automotive YouTuber. And then we had uh, one of the guys from Donut Media who we had a big interaction yeah. with. And we had both of those guys featured on videos and they bombed. And I was really depressed because I thought you take somebody who's got a bigger reach and a bigger audience than you and you put them on a video, it's good. You're going to go straight to the moon with that. Right. Yeah. And we had such lackluster performance on both of them. And we recently had Riff Raff on our video, who's, you know, whether you love him or hate him, massive audience. Yeah. And the video bombed. And I thought, you know what? I'm not going to get upset. I actually love this because that means our viewers are here for us. Yep. Yeah. They don't, you know, they see somebody that's, you know, a, a featured guest. Maybe it looks like a cop out to them or they don't want that, that other energy. But if our videos do great, and we fail when we put on features, that means what we're doing is something right. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, my, my final kind of YouTube question is is based on this whole concept. Is like, So are you whiteboarding out videos for like a month? Are you looking at you know, your comment section? Are you looking at your uh, amazing Facebook community and getting ideas there? You and Gabe getting together and saying, hey, like, let's do this and this together. Let's do an artistic video. Is there is there like an, an internal algorithm? How do you come up with it? What are you planning? How far in advance are you out? They're not usually planned out very far. By the time we uh, normally, by the time we finish a video and upload it on Friday, Monday, I'm starting to think about what we're going to do next. And I try to go through a three stage cycle where we mix in viewer or customer suggestions internal ideas and randomization and we try to give a little bit of everything so we'll go through the comments we'll see what comments are liked a lot we'll go through our facebook community and see what people want to see we'll draw off that sometimes i'll talk to gabe and be like you know what we should do this pearl over this base i think that would look awesome or i really want to know what it looks like and then sometimes we'll do the goofy stuff where we pull the mystery boxes off the shelf or we'll spin that wheel or we'll do something where it's totally random. We really don't have any control over it. And it just is what it is. Yeah. Those are great too, though, because it's kind of the point of what your product is, is uh, you can try something and if you don't like it and it turns out whatever, you got to try it. You got to check it out. And then you can yeah. peel it off, try something different. Like, it's yeah. awesome. We don't awesome. want people to be uh, afraid to experiment. 
Yeah, my my other YouTube question for you is who who do you watch on YouTube? Um, I don't know. I don't watch a lot of YouTube. I feel like it's actually enough. just bass fishing tournaments that are recorded. <laughs> no, I don't even watch that. I just I like doing it. I don't really watch much of it. Um, I don't watch a lot of stuff. I think yeah. the only thing that I'll watch, as random as it is, is if I have extra time at night. I'll watch like some Mythbusters on Amazon Prime for some reason. There's That's something awesome. about Mythbusters that is very calming to me, very engaging to me. Um, I like, yeah, I like the experimentation of it. Um, yep. But other than that, not much. Have you watched yeah. Adam Savage's YouTube channel, Tested? I have. Oh, dude, I, I love yeah. it. I'm a yeah. big fan. Yeah, I like that too. He's, he's got he goes a little into the technical stuff on like the lathes and the mills and the stuff that I don't really get involved with too much, but I love his man cave, bro. That is a long term goal for me. I want a space. I don't care what's in it. I'll put whatever I want in it. I guess I just want a space that has nothing to do with work and nothing to do with family, where I can just put whatever I want in it and sit. It could be a chair in the middle of an empty room where I can just sit in it and nothing else can can be, you know, no other stimulation at all where I can just make it my own space. Um, luckily, I'm not in a relationship where I, you know, don't have control over the house and everything. I don't really care what she does in the house, decorate, wood floor, whatever you want to do. But work, home are two very different environments. I want that middle ground where I can just like he, you can see how happy he is in that space. It's and, his everything. And his, I think his mind is kind of like in, in, a, in a way similar to yours. It's always turning. But like yeah. he he like picks up a paint can and he's like puts it back. And he's like, oh, yeah. that's not right. I can fix yeah. this. I can make it better. And he's just always enhancing everything. Because like I think I've watched him change the same thing over the three years that I think he's been posting at least once. Like he's he's built something and he's like, no, nah, it wasn't right. I'm going to yeah. rebuild it. I, lo I just love the... It's entertaining and it's hour-long videos. You can put them on in the background. They're great. Oh, it's great. And I, yeah. I do want to get to the point where I can make stuff. I think woodworking or something would be great for me because I like getting zoned out. I can literally do one repeated task for hours and just my mind can be somewhere else. So whether it's cleaning wood, sanding, painting, whatever it is, I do need to eventually get into that kind of hobby. It could, yeah. it could take you down a Check different out. road, man. I know. Uh, check out Blacktail uh, Blacktail yeah. Studio. I did. Had I did because I saw his episode. Yep. Yeah. So we had him on his on channel. Uh, he does awesome. Yeah. Organ guy makes some great stuff. Yeah, he really does. It's beautiful yeah. statement um, pieces. So uh, I love. Yeah. I loved watching his videos too. They were great. Easy, yours were so easy to research, and his were so. We just the, the beauty is like every person we've had on this podcast has been so fun to like learn about how they got there, and so. Um, but hey, I've got some subscriber questions that I promised that we would ask, and mm -hmm. uh, we we got a, a really great number of questions that I think will be great for us. JP, before we roll on this, do we have any? Do you have any questions? No, I don't think so. If I, I, I was always I'm always curious of what YouTubers are watching on YouTube, if anything. So that was good. Yeah. Uh, but no, I'm I'm good. Let's do the let's do the questions. All right. So we got should You're probably should we... it's probably going to echo some of the uh, the comments. Definitely. I'm sure. Um, oh, okay. I holy so I posted this in the in the group an hour ago, and we got uh, six comments. People actually commenting on comments. I uh, appreciate that. They're 
just random newcomer to the group just posting in there. So yeah, it's a good community. It is. It really it's super active. I had to scroll like four times to get to my my freaking comment in one hour of community conversation. So we'll do we'll do two uh we'll do two questions from there and then we'll do one question from Instagram and uh we'll call it there and then we'll let we'll let this roll out. But so uh just want to preface this if I mess up your name it's not because i don't like you it's not because uh anything other than i'm sorry it's instagram names are hard reading your facebook name is also difficult so um i'm gonna do this one because someone asked uh actually commented on it so now you've basically reached chrome which is the holy grail for a big peak to work towards what's next and, and then someone asked can chrome be tinted so you've reached a million what's the next uh, step for them. But I loved how, like, can Chrome be tinted? Yeah, I think he literally means Chrome. Oh, yeah, really? Like the actual, I think the first like question the actual is spray application Chrome. Yeah, because the holy grail for a very long period of time was can there ever be peelable Chrome? Because I even would say it ain't happening. Like, Chrome to me, there's been a lot of people that have claimed to be able to make peelable Chrome, and it ends up looking like tin foil or whatever. So I always yep. told people, I'm not even touching Chrome unless it's Chrome. Chrome is a mirror. If it's not Chrome, I'm not even going to call it that. We've never once oversold anything or overpromised. So we weren't going to start with Chrome. And we were able to do Chrome several months back. And it really is Chrome. Oh. Granted, it's a professional version. It's a pro- it's, so we have our DIY products and we have our professional Autoflex products. So in order to have a true Chrome, it has to have that level of gloss. So we did actually achieve peelable chrome. Yeah. Um, that went way as, over my head. The, the how com- does that measure? The how yeah. does that measure? Because you use something that um, to measure, I, I guess, gloss. Like I know you yeah. did it when you were talking about like your piano blacks versus yeah. like gloss. So mm-hmm. like where does that, how do those numbers differentiate? Maybe break down like real, like explain like on five, um, how, where chrome has to be on that. Like it has to be a mirror. I don't know the number scale. So... Chrome has to have, obviously, a high level of reflectivity. I mean, it has to be incredibly reflective. It has to, that it has to be there chemically, but you're not going to get that chrome look unless you have an extremely high level of gloss and it's perfectly flat. Yeah. So the reason you have to use the professional Autoflex products is because they use a lot, utilize a 2K clear coat, like an automotive-style clear coat, which you right. can sand down perfectly flat and then buff back perfectly clear so in order to achieve the chrome you put the chrome color down which is essentially that reflective metal and then the gloss goes on top you sand it down perfectly flat and then you buff it to where you actually have that mirror if you just like when you're doing a paint correction exactly if you didn't correct that texture the distortion in the orange peel would not it would be like having a mirror in your house that has an orange peel texture to it It's, it's not it's not there a uh, chrome bumper on an old muscle car is not going to have a, a, a texture to it. It's perfectly flat like a mirror. So we were able to, again, with our buddies at KP Pigments, who we work with for a lot of our pigments and, and colorants, we're able to create that mirror color. And then with our Autoflex products, create the actual chrome look. As far as this question on what's next, I mean, there's always stuff in the works. I mean, Hyperdip <laughs> is massive for us. You know, just to give you some real quick backstory on that. Yeah, please do. We've sold Plasti Dip 
for a really long time. And we did great with it. The problem is a bunch of companies tried to buy us out. And we, when we didn't sell, they still wanted to be involved in this, in this market. So you started seeing companies like Rustoleum and so forth, but all of a sudden, you know, Walmart and all these big box, you know, um, AutoZone and Advanced Auto Parts, all these companies started carrying the automotive plastic products. Granted, we have a ton of colors that were exclusive to Dip Your Car, but let's be honest, the biggest sellers, the black, the gloss, the grays, yeah. they started showing up in retail shows. So our purchase cycle broke. We would get people interested in the products. We would educate them in the products. We get them to the point where they wanted to buy, but then they'd go buy it at a retail store. Because why would you pay shipping and wait if you can go buy it at advanced auto parts? So that circle never closed. So for several years, our aerosol sales started to drop. Granted, we sold you know 99% of all plastic of gallons, but the aerosol started to fall. So I had that conversation with Plastic, like, look, we cannot continue to market and educate products that we don't sell. Now, we're not your marketing arm. You're not paying us to do this work. We're putting our time and money into educating people and getting them excited about it for them to go buy somewhere else. So this solution has to be fixed or this problem needs to be fixed. So my vision with Hyperdip is to take a product that was essentially repurposed, like how you were talking earlier, a multi-purpose rubber coating that we found usage for in the automotive world. It wasn't perfect, but it did a great job. Take that as a foundation and build on it. Recreate a peelable aerosol that is made for automotive peelable paints from the ground up. Make it flatter and smoother and slicker and more paint-like. And that's where Hyperdip came in. And Hyperdip is ours. It's our trademark, yeah. it's our formula. So you can't get Hyperdip outside of Dip Your Car. Right. So Hyperdip is a massive project for us. You're gonna see more finishes, more colors, more special, specialty stuff coming for Hyperdip to where we eventually just transition away from Plastidip. And I think all the wheel kits you see on Dip Your Car will eventually be Hyperdip because that's what's going to not only secure us as a business, but genuinely put better products for that uh, application in the hands of our users, which is everything. Yeah, and I think man, that's such a good point because I think if you put the two side by side, if you look at like your hyper dip um, versus you know traditional plastic dip, um, it how do I how do I say like the plastic dip almost seems a little more like granular, like chunky, you know, it's yeah. not as fine particles, and like what you really need is a, that fine particle coating to make a smooth, you know, um, coating, if you will, over and over again. So it's like. I love that you guys are specializing it and saying, okay, that's great that that exists, but now we yeah. are tweaking it and saying, this is, this is purpose built. This is designed for this type of application. Right. It's, it's even different than what was available on your site, like before Hyperdip, because I did my logos with the original Plasti Dip based items, like black, and I just mm -hmm. did all my logos and the front, I don't know if you, the TRD off road um, comes with like a silver bumper on the Forerunner. Mm -hmm. And I did the bumpers black and I did it with the hyper dip recently and it turned out way better than it did before. Yeah. It, it Even the, the peeling and the breaking on the, the lettering, oh, it was crazy. Well, we, we know exactly how we want a product to behave for what we use it for. Yeah. And Plastidip wasn't designed to do that. It did a good right. job, but we knew exactly what we would change. And that was what it was all about. We sent a wish list in saying, 
this is how we want it to spray. This is how we want it to feel. This is how we want it to break and cut and move and everything about what we wanted. And we got exactly it. We got the epitome of peelable paint in an aerosol. So we're going to build off that for sure. Because it, yes, it, it again, it secures us as a business and it closes that purchase loop. But if a thousand people dip their emblems or their wheels in a week and they use hyperdip versus plastidip, a much larger percentage of that thousand are going to be so much happier with the end result. Mm -hmm. And that's everything. If you're not happy with the purchase, what are we selling for? It doesn't mean anything to us. We've never been about the quick dollar. We want you to buy again. We want you to be happy with it. Tell your friends. So, you know, hyperdip is massive. And so. you want them to, you know, enjoy the product and, and, it goes back to like you're trying to change that industry. You're trying to make plastic easy and enjoyable and mm -hmm. a DIY product. And if you have everything in that can that makes it work, it just makes them happy. Yeah, I guess happy is, the, is what you're going for. Yeah, and, appreciate and that delineation of like telling us a little bit more about it because we were curious about like your products. We know you have your products as well. So I appreciate the breakdown on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that, that question was from Braden Durham and Tyrone. Minard, he he ch uh, chimed in and asked if chrome can be tinted. So we're still doing the testing on that. Okay, there you go, Tyrone. Be ready. Um, so the f last Facebook question I'm going to ask is from uh, Mike Searcy. He plans on getting a shop motorcycle for dipping. Do you plan on getting a shop motorcycle to dip, or is it just going to be cars? Motorcycles are a little touchy. Um, we could have gotten a motorcycle a long time ago and probably sold a lot more plastic marketing to motorcycles. The problem is, in my opinion, plastic up on motorcycles or coatings like that on motorcycles is a little touchy because there's a lot more friction on the motorcycle, the body of the motorcycle. Your pant legs are going up against it. Your shoes are going to hit it. It's going to come in contact with a lot more stuff. And a lot of people will spill gasoline on their tank from time to time. And yeah. Plasti Dip is not very gasoline resistant. Hmm. So I've never been comfortable selling something for a specific use if I don't think it's the right fit. And sure, like I said, we could have gotten a motorcycle and had a motorcycle kit and probably sold a ton of it. But if in the back of my head, I knew that a, the percentage of people that were going to n not have the longevity of the product that I'd really prefer, it makes me uncomfortable. And that's probably why you don't see me promote the use on motorcycles that much. We have customers that use it on motorcycles and are thrilled. A lot of them. You'll see them in that group. Yeah. But for me, knowing that it's just a little on the vulnerable side, I don't really want to take money for that. Yeah. Well, I, I, it's, it, people will do it anyways. It's, I mean, you can yeah. follow your tutorials and you can apply that to anything, whether you have a side-by-side, -side, a four-wheeler, you know, it, motorcycle, it doesn't matter. Like you can go, I mean, I gave I get, I got my dad a bunch of plastic up a couple of years ago and he loves it because he can, yeah. he can do whatever he wants and change colors on his Jeep. hundred percent. Like so. And if somebody asks me, they want to use it on motorcycles for protection purposes all day, it works yep. wonderfully for protection. But if somebody's going to spend three, 400 hours on a color shifting pearl kit, I'm going to tell them, look, you could do it, but just you have to be careful. It's it's not bulletproof. On motorcycles, it's a little bit more vulnerable. So um, you could use it all day, but we're just not going to push it too hard. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And so the last question I'll ask is from Instagram, and uh, there's a bunch of questions. And thank you so much for reposting us. It really helps us. And thank you, everyone, for asking questions and making it this far in the podcast. It's been super amazing for us to get to hear your story. It's really cool. So um, there's two. There, there's a bunch of questions on, like, a pearl. And so I'm going to ask, you know, I know Mitsu Mike and uh, Bankroll.sa. So Bankroll.sa asked, what else can you use besides top clear coat to add pearl shift? And then he asked another question that he wants to do a pearl shift about pearl shifting. So is there, is there a way, a better way that you'd suggest to do that? Um, well, we really have two mediums right now for pearls. You, you just got to pick if you want to go with a satin finish and a glossy, or you want to go matte because we have the glossy dip pearl top coat and then the matte dip pearl top coat. You, those are what are really the, the liquids that are designed to put the pearls and infuse the pearls into. So if he wants to use any of our color shifts or any pearl at all, it's really just as simple as picking if you want to go satin or glossy or if you just want to go with that stealth matte look. Other than that, you can dump pearl into really any gallon. You can dump pearls into black gallons, blue, yellow. It's endless. And I think you show that very well on your uh, on your <laughs> channel. Like, there's so many of that. And then uh, also, Bankroll, he asked, um, you know, if you have tips for first-timers. And I think you have a million. Uh, just my camera died. Um, you have a million million examples of what to do and, and tutorials. So, yeah, I mean, I would just go to dycuniversity.com. We literally put that together so that every single video that you may want to watch, if you're getting started, if you're thinking about doing your first project, if you want to get all the info you need in order to get, you know, to get the ball rolling, dycuniversity.com has all those videos right there. Well, that is, uh, that is all I have. Um, on my side, JP, uh, you want to roll us out? Yeah, let's do it. Um, I guess the best way we typically go about this, um, is, well, typically we would, we would drink a beer. Uh, I don't think mm -hmm. either one of us have a beer. Um, and we would start drinking while you tell us about what you got going on. But in this case, let's just roll it out and say, Hey, um, tell us where they can, you know, find your products, you know, your YouTube channel, um, and then what you have coming up and what we can expect, uh, from dip your car going forward. Uh, well, dipyourcar.com. You can find all the products there. If you have any questions at all, big or small, it doesn't matter. We have a customer service team that is ready and willing to help. We'd love talking to you guys about your projects. Obviously on the dip your car YouTube channel, you're going to find us doing everything from random color experiments that come out absolutely awesome to experiments that look terrible. And either way, we're going to show you the end results. We love to show you our wins and we love to show you when we fail. It's all about the process. As far as what's coming, we're just going to keep doing what's working. The one thing we've done since day one is treat customers the way we want to be treated. We've never changed it. We've never swayed away from it. It's just what works. So the, as far as the company itself, same linear path we've been on as far as the content same goofy stuff we always do hopefully you find those videos satisfying and fun to watch but I'm just gonna keep trucking I, awesome yeah i very much look forward to it because i love watching the experimental mind and the artistic side that you guys have and then the interaction between you and the community i think you've built an amazing community both on youtube and on facebook and i'm i'm proud to say i'm part of that uh, from a consumer and from a viewer appreciate so, yep. that 
yeah, you've helped me modify many, many a cars uh, <laughs> in my day. So your videos have gone a long way in, in my world of auto detailing and just customization. It's just something fun you can do. And I don't know awesome. if there's, you, you can't get out there on the road without seeing a car that's got plastic dip on it or, you know, some, it, it's impossible to ignore. Man. So it's out there, but um, yeah. For sure. Thank you. Uh, Fonzie, so this has been an unbelievable experience for me, and I thank you so much for your time and coming on our show. It was my pleasure. Hey guys, it's Mike. Thanks so much for listening today. We had so much fun recording this podcast, and we can't wait for the next episode. Check out our Instagram channel to find out who the next guest is going to be, and submit your questions so you can get featured on the show. While you're at it, why not subscribe to our YouTube channel and watch some of the podcasts that we have available? Thanks so much, and we can't wait for the next episode.